the anchor of the soul, with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. Someone has said that men may build houses, but God builds homes. There are a lot of great blessings that we enjoy in this life, and yet one of the greatest blessings is to have a family, to have a family that is together, that is united. And in Psalm 127, the psalmist talks about the blessings of a home that is founded upon God. In our day and time, a lot of homes have been fractured and frayed. A lot of homes have disintegrated into nothing. And yet, there is the possibility for the home to be what God would have it to be. A home that's founded by Him and for Him. I want you to think with me for a moment or two about Psalm 127. I want to begin by talking about the builder of the home. And listen to what the psalmist said many, many centuries ago. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. I want to encourage you, and we have a lot of young people that are a part of this church. I want to encourage our young people especially to let the Lord be the founder of your home. Let God build your home. And there are a lot of blessings that coincide with God being the founder of your home. The psalmist said, unless God builds your home, your house, then in effect you're spinning your wheels. And so we want to make sure that God is the cornerstone and capstone of our home. In, in reality, when we think about God being the cornerstone and capstone, we're saying that God is the founder, the builder. He's the one that is reigning and ruling in our home from top to bottom or from bottom to top. God is overall. Those of us that live in this world have to make decisions on a regular basis. And I understand that for many of us, the decision has already been made with regard to the person that we have chosen to spend our life with. We've got a lot of young folks that have not made that decision yet. And so I would encourage our young people to let God be the cornerstone of your home. In other words, you build that home on the Lord. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talked about the wise and foolish builders. And there's a great contrast there. The wise builder, of course, is the one who builds his house on the Word of God. He said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he said, him shall I liken unto a wise man that built his house on the rock. He said, the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. You live long enough in this world, you're going to face a lot of trials and difficulties. And yet, if God is the cornerstone, if everything is resting on Him, then you can make it. And Jesus here is saying that if you want to be wise in life, then build your life on my word. And then as I think about not just the cornerstone, but the capstone of the home. Allowing the Lord to be over that home. We talk about the summit, the pitch, the fact that God is over all. And I think that 
encompasses the idea of prioritizing in life what's first, what's most important. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. There's another thought here as we think about the builder of the home. Not only would I encourage our young people to let the Lord be the founder of the home, but I would encourage our young folks and all of us for that matter to let the Lord be the fortifier of your home. Note, if you would, what the psalmist goes on to say. He began by saying, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And then he said, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. I think about allowing God to be the caretaker of our home. Many of us are out on a daily basis going place to place. Sometimes we are literally all over the city. We live in a very difficult time. In a day and age when people are carjacked, mugged, robbed, some even killed. I understand that we have to do our best to protect ourselves. But I want to suggest to you that the Lord, you need to make sure that wherever you go, the Lord is with you. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, the Lord is at hand. In other words, we have the presence of God in our lives. And when you go from point A to point Z, and then back to point A, and then to another place, you need to make sure that God is with you wherever you go. Let him be the caretaker of your home. And not just the caretaker, but also the comforter of your home. Note what he says in verse 2. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. To our young folks and to all of us, I would say, that there are a lot of stresses and strains and anxieties that come with living on planet Earth. This is not a perfect world. And those of us that, those of us that have been blessed to live here for quite some time, We've seen the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations that can come. Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Let me tell you what, you live long enough on this earth, you're going to face some difficult days. That's what Job said, and Job knew about trouble. And so with all the anxieties and the stresses and the strains of life, what the psalmist is saying is, you need, you need to let the Lord be in control. Let him bring comfort and peace to your life. There are people in our world today that have no peace. And yet Paul said that in Christ we have the peace that passes all understanding. We have the kind of peace that does not come in the form of a pill or a bottle. But rather we have that inward peace that says all is well. And look at what he says. For so he gives his beloved sleep. There are people that toss and turn and sometimes never sleep a wink at night. You know why? Because their lives are filled with worry and anxiety because they're so anxious about life itself. And yet the psalmist is saying here, what you need to do is trust God. And you think about letting God be the founder and the fortifier of your home, building your home on the Lord. Right off the bat, you're getting off to a good start. Then there's a second thing that I want you to see in our study. That is, not only does the psalmist talk about the builder of the home, but the blessings that are in the home. Look at verse 3. 
First, he talks about the gift of children. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a great heritage, a great blessing. I think about the words of Moses in Genesis chapter 2. After God created Eve, the Bible says that he brought her unto the man, that is unto Adam. Adam responded by saying, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Your children, they are literally bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. There are a lot of joys that we can experience in this life, but to have somebody place in your arms a precious child, a baby, and the responsibilities that come with that can be overwhelming. But what a great gift. And then note, if you would, what he says down in verse 5. Not only are they a heritage in the Lord, but they can bring happiness in the Lord. In verse 5, he said, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Now, if you've got a lot of children in your home, and one's doing this, another's doing that, another's going this way, another going that direction, you might wonder what kind of happiness that can bring. But there are a lot of joys associated with being a mother or a father. To have a child. To have somebody that genuinely loves you and that you genuinely love. That you have the opportunity to bond with and to nurture and to rear in the Lord. Children bring a lot of great blessings. They can break your heart. but They can also bring abundant blessings I think about the words of Solomon in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 15, verse 20, he said, A wise son makes a glad father. Many of us as as parents, we have looked on with pride at the accomplishments of our children. We've beamed with pride at some of the things that they've said and done. That's only natural. And then there's a second thing. Not only are children a gift, but there is a sense of guardianship that comes with being a parent. Listen again to what the psalmist said, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. And then he goes on to say, Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. What about being a guardian, a custodian of our children? I think about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, when he talked about a steward. He said, that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. As a mama or daddy, God has placed into your hands the well-being and care of a little one. You have the responsibility of rearing that child. What does that child need? We talk about being a guardian, a custodian, a caretaker. I think, first of all, that child needs devotion. And when I use the word devotion, I mean that child needs love. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they have brought children into this world, but the children, sadly, are neglected. They're neglected physically, materially, mentally, socially. They have no love in the home. And yet Paul told the aged women in Titus chapter 2, verse 4, to teach the younger women to love their children, to love their husbands. Our children need, they need our love. And because we love them, because we're devoted to their care, there's some things that go along with that. 
You think about a small child that's born into this world. The first voices that child hears is your voices. That child comes into this world like a piece of clay. and You have the opportunity to begin molding and making that child into something. Hopefully into a vessel for God. But when I think about the blessings of being a parent and having the opportunity to love somebody unconditionally, that's the kind of love our children need. They need our unconditional love. They need our support, don't they? So we talk about devotion. They need our devotion, and because we love them, we also provide discipline. That is, we give them structure. Solomon said, chasten chasten your son while there's hope. And the idea is, because we love our children, we set parameters. And there are consequences if those parameters are encroached upon. We don't do it because we dislike them, because we, we don't love them. But rather, we set perimeter, parameters because we do love them. There are rules to abide by because we love them, because we understand that there is a world out there that can cause a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble and a lot of problems. When our parents tell us, when they say, you don't need to go here, you don't need to go there, you need to stay away from this, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why parents warn their children about alcohol and drugs, and I know alcohol's a drug. There's a reason why, as a parent, we warn our children about the dangers that are lurking in the world. And there's a reason why, when our children are out of line, we discipline them. And let me just say this. There are a lot of problems in our country today. And there are a lot of problems in our school systems all across, all across this country. Many of the problems that we're having in our schools and many of the problems that we're having in our neighborhoods, many of those problems can be traced back to one source. You know what that source is? It's the home. And one of the reasons why there are so many problems among our youth today worldwide, specifically in this country, is because we don't have mamas and daddies that love their children and that love them enough to set rules and parameters and to say, you know what? The buck stops here. We're in control. And we're going to do our best to rear you so that you will be respectful in society, so that you'll be a law-abiding citizen, so that you'll be a good neighbor, a good husband, a good wife, a good father, a good mother. You see, we have to be a role model. And so, these are some things that come along with being a guardian. And I think about not just the devotion and the discipline, but I think also we have to set the tone for direction in life. In other words, we have, we have to point our children in the right direction, don't we? Here's what, here's what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And you fathers, he said, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, we rear our children in God, in Christ. Let me just, let me just try to emphasize something for a moment that I think is very important. 
Our children need to understand how important Bible school is. Our children need to understand how important worship is. As parents, we make decisions all the time. As a parent, we make decisions for our children. Now, I understand that as they grow older, we begin giving them responsibility. And as they are accountable, and as they act responsibly, we give them more responsibility. We loosen the reins, so to speak, because the, the goal, the intent is for our children to fly solo. I mean, ultimately, that's what we're after. But when our children are young, and as they're growing up, they need to understand that God comes first. Please listen. Our children need to understand God comes before everything. When I say everything, I mean everything. Listen to Jesus, but seek first. That means before anything else in time or place of importance. Jesus said, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I want to ask you a question. If I let sports come between my child and Bible study and worship, what have I said to that child? If I let my child's schoolwork take precedence over Bible study and worship, what have I said to my child? Let me tell you what I've said. I have said that sports is more important. I have said that schoolwork is more important. Now you think about that for a minute. You're sending a signal to your child. When you allow your child to miss Bible study and worship because of a ball game, what you're saying is that ball game's more important. When you let your child stay home and study for a test or work on schoolwork rather than come to Bible study or worship, what you're saying is that's more important. Now, you might not like that, but that's the hard, cold truth. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. I think where we've gone amiss in the church in many respects is we have forgotten that we're supposed to be putting God first. God is supposed to be what life is all about. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see, and this ties into what I've been saying. And that is the bullseye in the home. Do you know what a bullseye is? Let me just say this, the target, what we're aiming for as parents, what we're aiming for as a family is heaven. That's what we're aiming for. If we miss heaven, we've missed everything. Our goal is to go to heaven. And what we want to do, we want to make sure that our children are right behind us. So the target is heaven. Now listen to what he says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. The picture is that of a warrior. And that warrior takes his bow and arrow. And he points that arrow in a very precise way toward the target. We need to aim with precision. Somebody has said one time, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. What are you aiming for? We need to be aiming for heaven. And so that means every decision I make that affects my family... I need, to, I need to be thinking about, okay, is this going to help my family get closer to God? Is it going to help my family become more Christ-like? 
Is it going to help my family be what the Lord would have it to be? Precision. I have a singular aim in mind. That singular aim is heaven. If I miss that, I've missed everything. What are you aiming for? As a mama, as a daddy, are you aiming toward heaven? Are you aiming with precision? Think about Hannah for a minute back in 1 Samuel. We talk about the blessings of being a mother. You remember Hannah? She was barren, childless. She prayed to God for a child. God granted that petition. And here's what she said, as long as this child lives, he shall be lent or granted to the Lord. What she was saying is, this child is going to be dedicated to the service of Almighty God. And you can read about Samuel. Samuel was quite a young fellow. But that's the kind of precision I'm talking about. We have a baby born into this world and we say, you know what, this baby, this baby is going to be a servant of God. And I'm going to do everything within my power to make sure that this child is brought up in the Lord and that this child becomes a follower of God. So we aim with precision and we aim with purpose. What's life all about? You got young children, they want to know what life's all about. Is it about schoolwork? Is it about sports? What's it about? Is it about climbing the corporate ladder? What's your life all about? Now let me ask this question. What will your child's life be all about? What they see in you, they will probably model their behavior after. Where do you plan to spend eternity? Honestly, truthfully. Where do you, where do you plan to be in eternity? I suspect all of us here today would say, we plan to be in heaven. Where will your children be in eternity? In all probability, your children are going to be where you are. If you don't make it, in all probability, they're not going to make it because they're going to follow in your footsteps. Do you remember Solomon? A man of great wisdom. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes places life under a microscope. And he talks about all of the things that he enjoyed in life. He talked about how he was the king over Israel in Jerusalem. He was a man of great power. He talked about not just his power, but his prominence. He was where everybody knew him. You remember the queen of Sheba? The Bible says she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. This guy was renowned. Is that what life's all about? Making a name for yourself? Is life all about power? You can read chapter 2. And he documents all of the things that he accumulated in life. He had it all. Great palace. He had all kinds of servants. He had silver and gold. He had everything. Is that what life's all about? Is that what, you, is that what you're teaching your children? It's all about accumulating more and more of this life's wealth? Is it about pleasure? Solomon said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not withhold from them. Whatever pleasure he wanted in life, let me tell you, this guy got it. Why? Because he had the power to do it. Is that what life's all about? And you think about what you're teaching your children, either verbally or non-verbally. You're teaching them something. They're learning from you. They know whether or not Christianity is genuine in your life or if it's not. They see through it if it's not. So I want to ask you, what are you teaching your children? Are you teaching them it's all about power? It's all about prominence? It's all about 
possessions. It's all about pleasure. In chapter 12, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come, why should we remember God early in life? Because when we get older, guess what happens? We become set in our ways. That's why it's imperative that our young people learn what life is all about and that they learn that lesson early in life. In the latter part of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon said, let me tell you what the summation of everything I've learned in life is. Let me tell you what it's all about. It's not about power. It's not about prominence. It's not about possessions. It's not about pleasure. Here's what it's about. It's about fearing God and keeping his commandments. He said, for this is man's all. In other words, that's what life's about. That's what it's about. It's about focusing your life on God. If you miss that, you miss it all. If you're a mom or a daddy and you've missed that, I'd beg you to rethink the course you're on. The target is heaven. The threat to heaven. You hold it within your hand. What are the threats to heaven? Your passion. What are you passionate about in life? You know, if you love, if you love something, it's not, it's not a, a burden. The Bible talks about how Christianity ought to be a labor of love. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. In other words, God is to have all of my affections. How many of us are willing to sit through a football game in the rain, the sleet, the snow, the cold weather? But we won't come to Bible study on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. We'll sit in the stands and watch our children and cheer them on in 100-degree weather. We won't come to worship and Bible study. We won't involve them in the work of the church. What are you passionate about? Your affections. Secondly, your associations. Who are you associating with? Who are your children associating with? Here's what Paul said, be not deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. As a parent, if I let my child run with a bad crowd, in all probability, that child's going to conform to the ways of the evil or the evil one. Think about who you associate with. Think about the kind of people that you want your children to be around and make sure that they're around godly influences. That's why our youth group is so important. Our children, they want to have fun. They want to have fellowship. They're going to find it somewhere. They'll find it either in the world or in the church. I prefer the church. A third thing, apathy. You know what one of the biggest threats to heaven is? It's apathy. Jesus talked about the church at Ephesus. He said they left their first love. He chided the church at Laodicea because he said, you're not, you're not hot, you're not cold. He said, you're lukewarm. As a mama, as a daddy, could I ask you a question this morning as we close? Are you setting the right tone in your home? Who's the builder of your home? Who built your house? I hope God did. If your home is not founded upon God, if your home is not running in the direction of heaven, I beg you, I plead with you, think about the course you're on and take a different route. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The Lord wants you to be on the right road. You have that opportunity. I'm grateful for all of the faithful mamas and daddies that we have here today, and the faithful grandmamas and granddaddies that we have. But I understand that sometimes, because we're human beings, we're not what we ought to be. Sometimes we make mistakes. Sometimes we neglect what is most important in life. As Paul said, we mind earthly things in contrast to realizing we have our citizenship in heaven. So today, if your home is not what it ought to be, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Let the Lord be the one who is in control of your home. If you're not a Christian, here's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 8, 24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13, verse 5. Confess the name of Christ, just like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Be immersed in water so that all your sins can be washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. And the Bible says that if you're faithful until death, the crown of life awaits you, Revelation 2, 10. If you're here today, you're not faithful, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love